Hi, I'm your host, Coy Atkins, and thank you for listening to this episode of Crime Nerds. This episode brings up a lot of questions and theories on how one man seemed to just disappear after walking down the road. Today's story is the disappearance of Stephen Kosher. Stephen was born in Amarillo, Texas on November 1, 1979. He grew up with three other siblings, and after graduating from Amarillo High School in 1998, he attended the University of Utah where he received a degree in communications. Stephen was a devoted Mormon, and through this episode you will see that religion was a huge part of his life. While he was in college, he even went to Brazil to do missionary work. For nine months after college, He interned at the state governor's office, then he worked for the Davis County Clipper as a freelance journalist, which was a bi-weekly newspaper that was also edited by his father. He worked there for the next year and a half, and he even received some awards for articles that he wrote from the Utah Press Association. In 2007, Stephen took a job working overnight for the Salt Lake Tribune's digital advertising division. According to his mother, Stephen really enjoyed the work he was doing. He just didn't like working overnight, and the drastic temperature changes affected him as well. So after a year at that job, he moved to St. George, Utah, which is in the southern part of the state and had a warmer climate. When he first moved, he took a job at Matchbin, an internet advertising firm. But the job didn't last long, and when the 2008 recession underway, it was difficult for Stephen to find work. He ended up getting a part-time job passing out flyers for a window washing company, but he didn't nearly make enough money to cover his bills. By November of 2009, Stephen was several months behind on paying his rent and electric bill payments. By December of 2009, There was another kind of search going on, but it wasn't Stephen looking for a job. Instead, it was everyone else looking for Stephen. On December 10th, Stephen left St. George very early in the morning in his 2003 Chevrolet Cavalier. He took Interstate 50 north to Salt Lake City, which was about 300 miles from St. George. In Salt Lake City, he then bought gas using his debit card. Then he took Interstate 80 west for another 125 miles to West Wendover, Nevada. In West Wendover, he bought more gas and then continued another 100 miles west until he was in Ruby Valley, Nevada. Stephen used to date a woman from Ruby Valley named Anna Marie Neff. Her parents owned a ranch there and when he was dating her, he had visited the ranch quite a bit. Stephen stopped by at the ranch. Anna Marie's parents were home, but she wasn't. They were surprised to see him because they weren't expecting him to stop by and they hadn't even talked to him in a while. But Stephen told them that he was on his way to Sacramento, California to visit some family and 
he just thought he'd stop by and say hey. Stephen told them that he was now uncertain about traveling to Sacramento because of some bad weather in the area. So he stayed at the ranch for about two hours. Anna Marie's parents made him lunch and then he decided that he was going to go back to St. George. Stephen stopped again in Salt Lake City for gas. He continued traveling and stopped in Springville for tacos. And by the time he made it back home, he had driven nearly 1,100 miles that day. That's a lot of driving. During this drive, Stephen talked to his mom on the phone. They talked about plans for Christmas and how excited he was about possible job opportunities. But he never told her about the trip he was on. The next day, December 11th, Stephen was working handing out flyers, and while he was working, he came across two young girls that had accidentally been locked out of their apartment. Stephen worked on trying to call their mother and found someone in the neighborhood that they could stay with until their mom arrived so that they weren't stuck outside. He also called the bishop to his ward to try and get some sort of help from him. And while he was on the phone, the bishop told Stephen that he would have a job available for him at the beginning of 2010. And this was really big for Stephen because he really needed work because he's behind on all his payments and his church is a huge part of his life and now he has an opportunity to work with his church. So this was really positive news for him. Then on December 12th, Stephen hit the road for yet another road trip. Later in this case, when investigators pulled Stephen's cell phone records, They learned that on the 12th, his cell phone pinged at a tower in Overton, Nevada, on the north end of Lake Mead. Later that evening, he bought gas and snacks at a convenience store in Mesquite, Nevada. Now, Overton was about an hour and a half drive from St. George, and Mesquite was between St. George and Overton. Later that night, Stephen was back in St. George. He went to Kmart and bought a baby bib and cookies. And that's believed to have been Christmas gifts for his brother's family. A neighbor said that Stephen returned to his apartment around 10 p.m. on the 12th. About 30 minutes later, he left again. Now, the neighbor never saw him come back, but that's not saying that he didn't come back and the neighbor just didn't notice. Greg Webb was the president of the ward that Stephen attended, and... I'm not very familiar with the Church of Latter-day Saints, so forgive me if I mess up on trying to explain this, but a ward is a church that has a larger congregation and is overlooked by a bishop. On Sunday, December 13th, Greg called Stephen saying that he was on his way back from Las Vegas and he might not make it to the church on time for the 11 a.m. service, so he asked Stephen if he could lead the service. Stephen told Greg that he was also in Las Vegas but he could return back to the church if Greg needed him to, but Greg told him not to worry about it, that he would try and make it back on time. Now, Las Vegas, it's not very far from St. George. It's about 150 miles or just a little under a two-hour drive. At 11.54 a.m., a home security camera inside of a retirement community on Savannah Springs Avenue captured Stephen's Chevy Cavalier driving past it to a cul-de-sac and this retirement community is about 16 miles south of Las Vegas in the city of Henderson. Six minutes after the car drives by, the camera catches a figure that's believed to be Stephen. He is walking in the opposite direction from where he drove, wearing a white shirt and slacks. 
In one hand, it looks like he's holding some sort of file folder. Another camera in the area caught a short glimpse of Stephen as he walked north on Evening Light Street. And that would be the last time that Stephen has ever been seen. Are you thinking about buying or selling a home? If so, I would love to have the opportunity to help you out. I'm a licensed realtor with Boss Hart Realty in Gainesville, Florida. Whether you're selling in Orlando or buying in California or Canada or Colorado, we work with great real estate companies all over the world. So I can help you out no matter where you're at. All you got to do is send me an email and we can talk about your dream home that you're getting ready to look for or the home that you're about to sell so you can look for another home or move to another area. My email is michaeladkins at bossheartrealty.com. That email is also going to be in the show notes for you. I really look forward to working with you. Now, back to the show. The next day, the Homeowners Association for the Retirement Community noticed Stephen's car parked at the end of the cul-de-sac. Through the window, they could see one of the flyers from the window washing company that he was working for, and they called the number on it. The owner of the company gave them Stephen's cell phone number. They called the number and left him a voicemail. Later on, through the company, they were also able to get his mother's cell phone number, and they called her and also left her a voicemail. A few days later, on December 17th, Stephen's mother, Deanne Kocher, returned the call to the Homeowners Association. She then contacted other family members that Stephen spoke to regularly and found out that no one had heard from Stephen since the 13th. Stephen's brother and sister immediately went to the area and started looking for Stephen. Local police were contacted and Stephen was officially reported missing. Stephen's family checked jails, morgues, and hospitals all around the Las Vegas area trying to locate him, but they came up empty. They came across an employee at an IHOP restaurant who said that there's been a man matching Stephen's description eating there almost every night for the past three weeks. Over the course of four nights, Stephen's family took turns eating and spending a lot of time at that IHOP in hopes that they would find this man. Eventually, another employee gave them a better description of the guy, and they determined that that wasn't, in fact, Stephen. Now, in the 1970s and 80s, a common practice for bringing attention to missing person cases was to place their picture on milk cartons. Due to technology advances, the practice pretty much was over by the late 90s. Even though Stephen went missing in 2009, a local dairy company placed his picture on milk cartons in the Las Vegas area to help bring attention to his case. The Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department went door to door in the area that Stephen went missing to see if anyone had seen him. With the help of volunteers, the police used helicopters, all-terrain vehicles, and dogs to search the area, but they also came up empty as well. In April of 2010, a private investigator received a tip telling them to search a desert area that was just west of where Stephen left his car. A private search team formed a group of about 70 people. They spent two hours searching the area, and they came across bone fragments. But once they were tested, they turned out to be not from a human. Police pulled Stephen's phone records and used that to also try and 
track his movements. Now, remember, it was just before noon on December 13th where he was seen on the security footage. Around 5 p.m. on December 13th, the phone pinged at an intersection more than 10 miles northeast of where his car was parked. Two hours later, it pinged near Henderson's Whitney Ranch subdivision, which was two miles north of the last ping. The next morning, the phone pinged near Interstate 515 and Russell Road, which was two more miles north from where the previous ping was. An hour after that ping, Stephen's phone was used to check his voicemail. The phone continued to ping off of a cell tower in that area until December 16th, and then it was either turned off or the battery died. And since then, there's been no activity from the phone. One theory that Stephen's family had was that he was in the area for a job opportunity due to his desperate financial situation. His brother noted that on the video showing Stephen walking, he was walking with a purpose. He didn't seem dazed or confused. It's like he knew where he was going. But you would also think if he was in that area for a job opportunity, why would he park at the end of a road and then walk down the street and then go down another street? If he was walking to a specific house for an interview or something, he would most likely park in the driveway or in the street in front of that house, right? It's also unlikely that he was going door to door passing out flyers for the window washing company that he was working for, because he left flyers in the car. Now, he did have what appeared to be the folder in his hand, but if he had more flyers in that folder and he was going door to door passing out flyers, Someone should have remembered him when the police went door-to-door asking about him. Another thing that sticks out, he told Greg that he could go back to St. George to do the sermon. If he had an interview lined up or plans with somebody, wouldn't he have told Greg about those plans? Especially since Greg knew how bad he needed a job. There's also nothing to suggest that he got in a car with anyone. Even though his phone pinged 10 miles away around 5 p.m., that's plenty of time to have walked 10 miles if he started at noon. According to Google Maps, from the spot that he left his car to the intersection of the phone ping, that's only about a three and a half hour walk. Deanne has said that she does not think that Stephen voluntarily disappeared or that he committed suicide. Deanne said that, When she talked to Stephen on December 10th, he was optimistic about finding another job. And he was even talking about his Christmas plans. And then he bought Christmas gifts for his family. Another theory was that maybe his car was having some sort of mechanical problems. But his father, Rolf, said that the car breaking down in that area didn't have anything to do with why Stephen parked it and left. When they retrieved the car on December 17th, the gas tank was half full and the car was running fine. Inside the car, Stephen had Christmas presents for his family, job application, and window washing flyers. Back in St. George, at Stephen's apartment, everything seemed to be in place. His clothes were just how he left them. Nothing was disturbed, nothing packed up, or nothing appeared to be missing. Some people looked at Stephen's travel in the days before he disappeared as suspicious. 
even saying that he may have been involved in some sort of illegal drug operations in order to make extra money. A drug dog was even walked around Stephen's car but did not alert to anything. And there was nothing located in the apartment that would lead police to believe that he was involved in drugs. Police searched his computers, bank records, phone records, and even his history of checking out books at the library, hoping to find some sort of clue, but they didn't find anything suspicious. On his phone records, there was one number that called him the day before he went missing. And he didn't have that number programmed in his phone, but when they called the number, it turned out to be a family member of the two girls that he helped when they were locked out of the apartment. There was also no activity on his debit card except from an automatic charge from a previous subscription that he had. The investigators did find a journal that Stephen kept, and he wrote in it quite frequently. He didn't write about anything bad going on in his life other than financial problems, but even in the journal he wrote about how he believed his financial problems wouldn't last much longer and he was going to have a good job soon. While multiple law enforcement agencies have looked into Stephen's disappearance, there hasn't been any evidence to support him being killed or kidnapped. While this is bringing us to a conclusion of this episode, there's one more theory that's floating around out there. One that Stephen's family says is nonsense and isn't true. Police have also said that they can't connect Stephen to this theory, but it's still out there, and people still talk about it. And I'm going to tell you about that theory next week, because next week our episode is about a woman in Utah who went missing the week before Stephen. As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Crime Nerds. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Crime Nerds Podcast. And you can also follow our Facebook page at Crime Nerds Podcast. 